Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Hey, good morning, you guys. Welcome. Welcome to Hope Church on this uh, lovely morning. Got a little rain this morning. It was really nice. My name is Chris Matley. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Church. And um, my wife and I recently, I wasn't here last week. If you were here, you didn't see me. My wife and I recently got back from a trip to Israel. Yeah, we went. It was, really, it was a really good time. Um, I had been once before, um, but uh, she had not. And so it was really cool to get to travel around and see things. Uh, me, some things for the first time. And for her, all of the things were for the first time. It was really, it was really pretty cool. There was... Um, Mostly we just traveled by ourselves um, uh, and with another couple of some friends of ours, Jenny and Colin Brown, who you might know. They're from uh, over at the Coastlands. And, um, and, but we, anyway, we were traveling around together with them. And this one day we hired a guide to take us to a few places. And it was really cool because, I, I mean, I thought I knew a few things. But this guide, like, she knew everything uh, about everything. And some stuff she just made up. And... Uh, it was really good, but, but uh, we timed it kind of poorly because at the end of the day, the last thing we hadn't done was go and see the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. Um, and it was like rush hour traffic when we went to go see it. And so um, now the Garden of Gethsemane is one of, the, it's one of the most peaceful, like tranquil places in the world. I mean, it's really, it's beautiful. I mean, Jesus went there seeking solace. It's quiet and it's beautiful and it's lovely. The neighborhood around it is not those things, like at all. It's the opposite of all those things. In fact, the road that leads to the Garden of Gethsemane, that you have to drive up, kind of up the Mount of Olives, that road, if that road was in Soquel, we would all together collectively agree that this is a one-lane, one-car, one-way road. They don't have that agreement in Jerusalem uh, the Jews drive up the road and the Arabs drive down the road and they solve the problem of meeting one, one car meeting another by just laying on the horn and shouting at each other. Yeah, and so the last time I'd been there, it was like in the morning and there was nobody there and we just drove up and went there. I had no idea that it was this like absolute chaos. So Jenny and Colin are in the front seat driving. Amy and I and the guide are in the back seat and we're driving up the hill and all of a sudden this huge bus starts coming down the hill and there's a car ahead of us, and the guy in front of it loses his mind. He's like shouting in some language at this bus, and the bus driver gets out, and they're shouting, and I go, oh my gosh, I have this thought right here. We're going to die today. Everybody's shouting and honking. Our guide has a very different thought. She goes, Jenny and Colin, you've been to the Garden of Gethsemane once before, right? And they go, Colin's like, yes, yes, we've been once before. And she goes, Amy and Chris? get out, follow me, they'll go find some parking or something. And we jump out of the car and leave them, like, in the street. And so we go, so Amy and I are walking around the garden, and it's very peaceful. We're enjoying ourselves so much. She's like, and these olive trees are 500 years old, and this over here, and this church is 1,000 years old. And we have a great time. It's wonderful. And then we're walking back out, and I see Colin and Jenny walking up, and they are, I'm like, why are you so sweaty? Like, <laughs> Apparently, it got worse after we left. Jenny had to get out of the car and, like, 
stop traffic while she, anyway, it was this whole thing. But the, the road going up there was so gnarly. And I was just thinking about like, what, a, what an interesting picture that is for the Christian life. Like how, like sometimes it just feels, has it ever felt like that to you? Like the Christian life is just this uphill battle. Like you're going up and there's tour buses on their way down, you know, and everybody's shouting and honking. It's kind of like that, isn't it? We're in this series right now called Heart and Soul, and the purpose of it is that we would unpack and explore and re-explore for some of us the values that kind of hold us together. We got together as a team, a leadership team some time ago, and we crafted this statement to try to re-identify who we are, because we've grown recently. If you haven't heard, we're, we're now uh, one church, but three in three locations in this county, uh, and hoping to add more. So. So we crafted this statement right here. We are one church in multiple locations, reaching, restoring, and releasing people to live transformed lives. Our vision is to unify and multiply transformational communities that help people find and follow Jesus locally and globally. Now, we didn't just make this up out of thin air. Um, We were reading Matthew chapter 28. It's called the Great Commission, where he says to his followers, these are his last words to his his followers on earth. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always till the end of the age. And so inspired by those words, we kind of drafted a, a way of thinking about what it is that we do and who we are. And we came to our values and we decided we want to, you know, there's there's lots of things that Christians um, uh, believe, and we are we are a, a complex and complicated lot. And we and there's things that we believe that others don't believe, and things that we feel strongly about, and other people don't feel strongly, and, and so on and so forth. But we wanted to narrow it down to just just some core values, some things that we we feel are at the core of the the person and the teaching of Jesus. And so. These last few weeks, we've been going through these. If you've been here, you heard about the value of partnering. We serve as a team. That's why you see different faces up here. We we don't just all follow one person. Well, we do. It's Jesus. But we don't follow one one guy or gal here. We we serve and we lead as a team. And uh, we talked about the value of being real, uh, offering a place that's where people can authentically follow Jesus and being accessible. And last week, we heard about um, the value of intergenerational church, that we don't place all of our value on just one group of people, but we, we, um, we value all people of any age um, and any group. So this week, our, we're, we're kind of narrowing our focus to the value of being empowered. So that word empowered can uh, mean a lot of different things, but I'm going to tell you what we mean by it, that we are Filled with the Holy Spirit while being balanced in the scriptures. Okay? What do I mean by being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, what we mean is there's this thing. We call it being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or, or some people call it being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you may have been coming to the church for a few times, or maybe it's your first time, and you didn't know that we were a spirit-filled church. You're going, where's the nearest door? I just need to go check out... Um, uh, ushers, could you just lock the door real quick while I... That's a joke because we don't have ushers. Um, uh, so here's the thing. If you hear the term uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit or you hear spirit-filled and your initial reaction is a little like, 
like you've seen some kooky weird thing that's totally understandable like all you have to do is like go on YouTube and search under I don't know speaking in tongues or something and you'll see like it's weird it gets weird out there there's some strange expressions by people that would claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit but listen to the way we crafted this value Holy Spirit filled while balanced in the scriptures okay so this is this is a trajectory okay not a goal because because mostly let me just tell you can I be honest with you in 2000 years mostly no one really gets this right though we try we aim for it and and that's what we're doing is we're, we're pointing at a goal and we want to be uh, better than we were the day before right so that's that's where we're headed we're we're filled with the Holy Spirit but balanced in the scriptures now I want to acknowledge that we have brothers and sisters in the faith in fact many of them right here in this county that have varying beliefs about this and that's that's okay that's fine Christianity is a big tent, and there's a lot of room under that tent. Um, <clears throat> we have a particular view on this, but another value of ours is that we don't, want, we don't seek to indoctrinate. So when you indoctrinate, what you do is you say, this is the way to think about this, and it's the only way to think about it, because it's how I think about it. That's indoctrination. What we want to do is educate where we go, here's how people generally think about it. And the impression is, from my vantage point, I think this might be the right way to think about it. But I'm open to discussion about it. You see the difference? Right? So our position, I believe, as Christians should be that, that um, as we share our beliefs, that, that our beliefs should be, they should be well-founded. They should be thought about. We should contemplate these things. And we should have a, a defense for them. Not so that we're defensive, but to show that we've thought about it. And we've considered it. And if we've done that, then I believe those beliefs will stand up where they're supposed to. And if we haven't, then they might not. And perhaps we should reconsider. Let me just say this. I, I don't know. I've never personally met a Christian ever <clears throat> who said that they don't believe that all Christians should be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think we all believe that. But some believe that this happens at the point of salvation, that this is... Uh, for instance, uh, Baptists and, and Presbyterians uh, believe that salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is part and parcel. It happens together at the same time. They also believe that any resulting manifestations of the Spirit, like signs and wonders, prophecy, speaking in tongues, those kinds of things, they died out in the first century with the first century apostles and disciples. <clears throat> now, I will just say that that is not our belief here but that we hold on to this with humility and with grace, okay? So let's be humble about things which we might disagree about, okay? So first, before we talk about this Holy Spirit thing, right, let's just, for a second, can we take just a minute and just deconstruct just the Christian thing? What does this mean to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian? I said a minute ago that living the Christian life feels sometimes like an uphill battle. What does that, what does that mean? What does it mean to live the Christian life? Well. Let's break it down for just a second. Christianity is a faith tradition. You're here because a tradition of people before you embraced a particular kind of faith. Okay? And if, you're, if you identify with that faith, then you're a part of that faith tradition. But this, this faith tradition is actually two kinds of faith working in concert. The first one is a propositional faith. It's a, it's a belief. By the way, 
Can I just say this? When I say faith, can I tell you what I mean? I don't mean blind belief in the uh, impossible. You know how that, like, there's that point in every uh, Disney movie where, like, the character that represents the main character's conscience just says to the main character, sometimes you just got to believe. You got to have faith, right? <clears throat> what they mean is you're about to do something that looks really stupid, but the result is going to be amazing. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what faith means, actually. Faith means a reasonable belief in compelling evidence. Did you know that? It means to believe in something that's compelling. So Christianity is a... Is a so what are, what are the propositions of Christianity that we have faith or that we believe in? What, just an example. What's, what's one of the propositions of Christianity that we believe, that we have faith in? The resurrection, that Jesus died, but he conquered death. What was that one? Yeah, so that he's a representation on earth of a living God. Here's, here's one, that the universe was created by an enormously powerful intelligence that can be personally known. Christianity states that. And if you're a Christian, you believe that. But there's good reason to believe it. We don't just invent this stuff, right? So Christianity is a propositional faith, but it's also a second kind. Remember I said there was two? There's a second kind of faith. It's a, it's a personal faith. And again, I don't mean personal like, oh, it's yours. It's like, like you know, it's personal. You keep it to yourself. Like, it's private. No, personal faith means faith in a person. Who's the person? Jesus. He's a real person. I just got back from the place where he lived and walked. And I saw evidence of his passing. He was a real person. And I've put my trust, my belief, in the things that he said and did. That's a personal faith. That's what Christianity is, okay? So we just broke it down and we put it back together. So Christianity is a, is a belief that then catalyzes a spiritual change inside of you. But wait, there's more. <laughs> if that was all there was, honestly, I'd be perfectly happy. I like thinking about stuff. I could spend the rest of my life just reading and thinking about the words of Jesus and the life and teachings of Jesus. That would be plenty for me. The problem is I actually read his words and I assume that he meant them. When you read things like the Sermon on the Mount or you read in casual conversation with his friends when he drops little nuggets like this, if you've ever felt hate or anger in your heart for your brother, you've committed murder. And I read that and I go, if he means that, then I'm a mass murderer, right? And so are you. We're all Jeffrey Dahmers out there, right? This is terrible news. I thought, I thought it was supposed to be good news. And then you read his words like, like uh, he was speaking to his male followers. He said, if, if you have ever looked on a woman with lust, then you've committed adultery with her in your heart. I'm not going to say out loud that I'm a mass adulterer because we're recording this, and that would be a terrible meme to have out there. But, but we are, let's acknowledge that we're all human beings, and we have fallen far short of these words. That's a problem, right? Because we just committed to the belief of the concepts and the teachings of Jesus. We just said we believe it, and now we have this insurmountable problem. And his followers, I think we're reconciling that same problem <clears throat> when he said this in John chapter 1. 
So they're wrestling with this same dilemma that we're struggling with right now. Oh my gosh, it's impossible. The Christian life, it's not just an uphill battle. It's not just hard. It's impossible. And here's what Jesus said, John chapter 14. He says, all this I have spoken while still with you. Okay, so we've been walking together. I've shared these things, but I've been with you to help you through it. He's laying the groundwork, you understand, for a time when he's not going to be there, right? All this I've spoken while I'm still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Did Jesus seem like he was at peace? He was pretty comfortable, wasn't he? He was pretty comfortable. So he's saying that peace, I'm packaging it up and I'm sending it your way through this person of the Holy Spirit. He names him the advocate here. Did you notice that? He said, I don't give to you as the world gives. In other words, I don't just give and take, give and take. This is a gift that comes your way. It's a one-way trip. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. That's to us. He's speaking to us right here, right now in this dilemma. Our hearts are troubled. Jesus, we believe in you, but you gave us impossible goals. We can't live that way. He says, don't worry about that. I've got a solution for it. That solution is... He calls him the advocate, the Holy Spirit. Later in John chapter 16, continuing this conversation, he says, he says, very truly I tell you, it's good that I'm going to go away. Right? So now he's, he's really prepping them for the fact that he's not going to be there anymore. He says, it's good that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I have to admit, I used to think about this all wrong. I used to think Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they, like they can't be in the same place at the same time, maybe. It's kind of like, you know, when you're, um, when you're in Gotham City, how you never see Batman and Bruce Wayne at the same time. It's always like, Bruce Wayne was just here, and now Batman's like beating the crap out of the Joker, but now he's not, like, I used to think about it that way. I, but now I, I, I see that Jesus foresaw a particular order of events. He walked personally among his followers so he could help them understand his teachings and to be holy and to live them out. But he knew he wouldn't be there indefinitely. In fact, he knew, he foresaw that we here in this room would be struggling with this right now. And he goes, I can't be there with them physically. So I have a, instead I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to live among them. That word advocate, by the way, it's a, it's a Greek word, parakletos, parakletos. You know, when I was a kid, I went out try out for soccer, and they gave me shorts and a jersey. That was just for you. Parakletos means, it's a Greek word. If you went into a courtroom and you wanted someone to speak on your behalf, someone who knew and understood all the nuances of the law better than you did, you would hire a parakletos an advocate. In the same way, if your life was full of turmoil and trouble and you had the money to do so, you could pay someone to sit with you and walk through the, the intricacies of your life and help figure out and sort out all of the issues. That's a parakletos, a counselor. In other translations, it says comforter. I must go so the comforter will come. This is the Holy Spirit. 
This is the power that Jesus is offering us to live the impossible life. But the Holy Spirit is not just here to empower us. It's our connection to the person and the values of Jesus. It's the way that we feel him living inside of us and all around us and in our community and working through us. It's the Holy Spirit. So let's skip forward past, uh, so we're reading in John, let's skip forward past the death and the resurrection of Jesus, okay? We're going to jump to Acts chapter 1, okay? Now Jesus came and visited with his friends after the resurrection. He walked with them, he shared, it says he shared with them and he, he broke bread and he taught them. It doesn't tell us much about what he taught them, but it must have been amazing because from there they went out and conquered the world. But, um, but he spent 40 days visiting with them and it says, this is, this is one of those occasions, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait, wait for it, wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. We just heard him speak about it, right? It's the same gift. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, this is the first time he introduces it in this conceptual way. He says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's where that phrase comes from, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's from the words of Jesus right here. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, you dummies, I was never going to do that. He was so patient. I can't believe they asked him that. He said, nope, that's not happening. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates or father, the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Lest we think that the Holy Spirit empowers us just to get through our day, oh, there's so much more than that. The Holy Spirit empowers us so we can do the work that he's called us to do. It's to spread the gospel on this earth, to save lives. So these Jesus followers heard this, this message about this person of the Holy Spirit coming, and they went into an upper room, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited for 10 days. When I was in Jerusalem, there's a little church in a room, and they say, this was the upper room, but you know, it's Jerusalem, so it could be there or there, or it might be over there, it might be 60 feet under the ground, who knows? doesn't really matter where it was. The point is that they waited and they waited. And on the 50th day, a day we call Pentecost, did you know if Pentecost means 50, right? So 50 days from the resurrection, the day that we call Pentecost, something happened. It says when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the, holy, the whole house where they were sitting. Would that have been terrifying, right? Room shaking. You have to remember, this is the first time the Holy Spirit came in power to followers of Jesus. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now this right here is the reason why we believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a secondary event after salvation. Salvation is you changing your mind about what you once believed. It's, I believed this, but now I see 
that Jesus is the person he claims to be and I want to follow him. And the salvation event takes place, catalyzed by that belief. But this is a secondary event. This is, this is the Holy Spirit coming into the, the, and filling up the believer in Jesus with his power. This same experience is offered to you and I. I'll show you that in just a second. It says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. The reason why there was a whole bunch of uh, Jews in Jerusalem from all the nations is there was a feast. There was a, there was a, a big celebration going on. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So what just happened? What's implicit here that's not stated? They were in an upper room, right? And they begin speaking in tongues and there's wind and there's fire and things are happening. But then this enormous crowd of people hear what's happening. What happened in between there? Something happened. It's implied but not stated. They went outside. They were in a room. No one would hear them in the room. They went outside. They went outside. We, I think, historically in churches have received the gift, the power of the Holy Spirit, and then we just tucked it away in little places all over the world, and we stayed inside. It's not for us to keep. It's for us to take out there and do the work of the ministry. Amen? Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Galilee was a very rural, just kind of out of the way, you know, farming and fishing community. It was, you know, not real special. All these people were from there. It's like, aren't these people all from Aromas? You know, it's like, <laughs> if you're here from Aromas, I totally apologize. That was, that was really uncalled for. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue? There's Parthians and Medes and Elamites and a whole bunch of other people listed here that are here, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What does this sign mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they've had too much wine. But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Nine in the morning is when this feast really got going, and it's when people from outside the city, staying outside, would walk up the steps to the southern gate and, and go up to the Temple Mount. Good time to catch a great big crowd if you wanted to. This is what was spoken in the prophet Joel, and here's Peter's message. He says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. There will be signs and wonders. He's talking about, so did you notice he said last days? If you've been with us this year, you've heard us talk about how last days doesn't mean some distant point in our future. It means the time between the death and resurrection and the time that he comes back. That's the period of time known as the last days. And he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And he has. He's done it here and with you and I. I have a couple pictures I just wanted to show you. Um, this is a spot that we found when we were in Jerusalem. I mean, I, I didn't find it. I, I, I didn't discover it. Someone else found it. Actually, this was dug up in, uh, in 1967. You see that arch right there? That was a gate. That's the southern gate to the Temple Mount. Someone filled it in. First the Crusaders and then later the Byzantine uh, Muslims 
walled that off. That gate had that, uh, so that gate right there faced out. Let's show that picture of the steps there. Yeah, there we go. So I was standing in front of that gate looking down. You see those steps there? They actually continue on further down. You can see where there's buses there. But if you wanted to gather about four or 5,000 people in the old city of Jerusalem, there's only one place you could do it. It's right here. That's why people believe with good reason that Peter stood in that spot right there and preached the gospel for the first time and preached the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the first time right there. People standing on the steps heard this message. Do you want to hear how they responded? This is powerful. Think about this. I, I thought about this when I was standing here. I just, I, I was overwhelmed with this thought. Peter stood on these steps. 53 days before that, he was a total failure. Do you remember the story? Just 53 days before, he denied he ever knew Jesus, afraid for his life. He thought the whole thing was falling apart. Total failure. Failed worse than many of us have. And he walks out on these steps, not knowing what's about to happen. Have you ever tried to get a crowd's attention? Hey, over here, look at me. Have you ever tried to get the attention of 5,000 people? That happened right there. And he preaches this message. And listen to the result. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? That's what a preacher really wants to hear from his congregation. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, from all whom Lord, the Lord our God will call. Who's left out in that proposition? Who's excluded? No one. There's one last picture here I just want to show you. At the very bottom of the hill, you see these? These were excavated more recently. These are mikvahs. They are ceremonial uh, washing places where they had clean water. So as you walked up the steps, you could stop and you could ceremonially wash before you go into the temple. Listen, did you hear what it said? It said, those who accepted this message were baptized. 3,000 were added to their number. It's a great place to baptize people right at the foot of the steps, huh? Pretty, pretty convenient. I want you to hear this. The same Holy Spirit that spoke through Peter on that day and saw 3,000 people be, be saved and baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit is working in you today. That same Holy Spirit is on offer to you today. If you have not yet experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit is offered to you today. Not by me, by Jesus, by the one that we follow. Here's what Paul says when he wrote to his friend, his good friend Timothy. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. There was a moment where Paul prayed for Timothy, and he experienced this baptism of the Holy Spirit and Paul refers to it as the gift of God. He said, fan it into a flame, Timothy. Don't let it die out. And so many of us who have experienced this gift of God have evicted the Holy Spirit from places in our life and filled those places with fear and filled those places with other things that don't belong. Today would be a great day to trade your fear for the Holy Spirit and welcome him back in. Here's my big idea I want to leave you with, and then i got to go preach at the coastlands. <laughs> uh, when we invite the Holy Spirit to come in power, we are taking away the power that fear holds over us. Is there an area of your life where fear has a hold over you? 
The Holy Spirit has already claimed that ground, but he's just waiting. Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock and I wait for you to invite me in. So here's my question to you. Are you going to invite him in? If so, can I encourage you, find a leader to pray with you. If you haven't yet experienced this baptism of the Holy Spirit, today would be a great day. Find a leader. My friend Tim is right there in the back. Savannah, who led worship. Uh, Justin, our youth pastor, is here. Find any one of them. Go to the Connect tent. Some of them will be waiting out there. If you want to pray out there, you're welcome to pray out there. If you want to pray in here, find a leader in here to pray with you. And second, if, if you've experienced this before, but it's been a long time since you've felt the power of the Holy Spirit coursing through your life, today is a great day to fan that into flame. Pray with someone today. Seek God. Find the Holy Spirit. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.